Welcome everyone. Some people are still coming in, so we may wait a minute or so. Um, I'll just tell you how the program's going to go. I'm JT Takagi of Third World News. We're all going to do a short intro. Um, we're going to show a trailer from Resistance at Tule Lake, and then we're going to talk to Conrad Editor, the director, and Joy Lee Grande, who made a short film that we're also going to show later in this program. Um, and then we're going to ask them the questions, and we're going to keep the audience muted, but we hope you'll post questions in the chat that you might want to share with our guests. Um, thank you all for being here tonight. And uh, Third World Newsreel is a progressive media center that prioritizes media by and about people of color and social justice issues. We do this through production, educational distribution, training, and events like these. I'm also representing the documentary forum at CCNY, an institute within City College that promotes documentaries and through film and events connects the college with its neighborhood, Harlem, and the world beyond. Our co-sponsor is the Asian American Asian Research Institute, ARI, at CUNY, which is the Center for Scholastic and Cultural Asian Studies. I want first to have you all join me in acknowledging that in New York, we are on the unceded territory of the Lenni Lenape, Canarsie, Shinnecock, and Muncie peoples. Minneapolis, where Shua is, is in the territory of the Dakota and the Ojibwe peoples. We acknowledge and challenge the harm that continues to be inflicted upon indigenous and people of color communities here and abroad, which is why we all need to be part of the struggle for rights, equality, and justice. I'd like to introduce our speakers for tonight, Conrad Adler and Shua Lee Grande, and I'm going to attempt to add them to this. Welcome both of you. I'm very glad to have you here tonight. Um, before I go into your introductions though, I'm going to share with everyone a trailer from Conrad's film, Resistance at Thule Lake. My dad was listening to the radio and they found out that Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. And we knew something bad was going to happen. Suddenly, to be Japanese was then to be identified with the enemy. When I came home from school, mom was crying and she said, they took Papa away, FBI took him away. First thing the, they said after the train started moving was pull the shades down. We were prisoners. Over 120,000 Japanese Americans were incarcerated during World War II. It was a hell. Would you hell? There's been this prevailing myth that Japanese Americans did not protest their wartime incarceration. My father renounced his citizenship. He had spoken out about their rights being violated and was charged uh, with sedition. I felt that I was a citizen and they're questioning me. The government created this thing that became a monster, Thule Lake. The camp became kind of a punitive center. On Tule Lake, for the first time, American troops, under orders, tortured people. We have 12,000 people who are defined as disloyal because they did a very American thing, which was to dissent. That's the time I found the white against yellow. They called in the military and declared martial law 
is firing away machine guns. How do you become an enemy alien if you're an American citizen? Tule Lake totally destroys that mythology that there was no protest. So first, Conrad is a documentary filmmaker and freelance producer, editor based in New York. And um, Joa is a Minneapolis-based filmmaker, photographer, and community educator. And we'll be showing her film in a little bit. But first, I wanted to uh, ask Conrad how you came upon the story, which until you made it, I had never heard about myself. And maybe you want to preface a little bit with your connection to the film, too. Uh, well, my family was incarcerated. My grandparents were in one of the camps, which was Topaz. And um, I didn't know too much about it. Like, I'd never talked to my grandparents about it until uh, after 9-11. And there was a lot, you know, I was in New York City, and there was a lot. That was when I first connected with the Newsreel, and that sort of launched you know, my, um, my, uh, interest in documentary filmmaking, which I wasn't, wasn't a, a thing for me before, you know? So, um, so that, you know, I, once I got into my family history, I just really wondered, um, wasn't, you know, couldn't there be someone who, who, um, actually protested because there was this, the story was so much, uh, you know, I thought there was there's a kind of disconnect between the idea of why the uh, incarceration was so bad was because you know the Japanese Americans were such good Americans you know they were so um cooperative and they they just uh you know didn't raise a fuss they kind of took it uh in stride and they they um they showed what patriotic Americans they were by um enlisting and and um fighting for the country and uh in the 442nd and um you know and and then after 9-11 it just seemed like that that narrative just didn't quite um cover i guess the injustice somehow and also um i was just looking for parallels because i knew a lot of people who were activists and um you know i uh i was just trying to find that history you know like uh where and uh, I had only dimly known about Tule Lake. Tule Lake was like this real dark secret uh, in the community. I mean, it was something that wasn't really discussed. It was just like this place that some people went and they just, it was like going off the edge of the world in, in a way, you know, it wasn't discussed. So um, that was what got me uh, interested, I guess, was just, uh, digging into this thing which had been left alone for so long and just seemed like, you know, I mean, we're past, you know, the, the generation was reaching, you know, their 80s and, and uh, their 70s through through 90s. And um, it was really time to to have the story told. And um, I mean, it had been told in some different forms before, but I, I really wanted, you know, the um, the story of Tule Lake to be front and center in a film. And so I I undertook that. Well, one thing, because people didn't talk about it, I mean, one of my uncles was also in Tule Lake and never mentioned any of this at all. 
So um, was it difficult to get people to talk about it since it was such a hidden thing? And, and for a lot of families, it was considered a shameful episode. Well, um, you know, I think if, if I had tried to reach out just randomly to people across the country or, you know, try to, if I hadn't had, if there hadn't been a, a two-way community that had, that had formed by that time, it would have been very hard. But fortunately, you know, there was um, a, a pilgrimage um, for Tule Lake. There was pilgrimages uh, for several of the camps, but Tule Lake, um, you know, in a way is the most immersive because it takes place over three days. So um, I had heard that there was this pilgrimage and, and I had thought about going to it, you know, like shortly after 9-11 and I just didn't get my act together to go there until I really made up my mind I wanted to, to make this film. So that was really the way into it for me because I felt even though, you know, I'm Japanese American, my, my grandparents were incarcerated. Um, I still felt like I needed to, um, you know, gain the trust of, of people who had been through it before I was just going to start, you know, deciding what this story was about. And um, so I started showing up to the pilgrimages and, uh, and I met Barbara Takei in Sacramento and she really, you know, gave the, the story some shape for me. I mean, she, the way, you know, because she had been is sort of the, um, you know, kind of, she's a, a recognized as a kind of historian or someone who, who really has gathered a lot of the pieces of the story together. So, and uh, she also knew, you know, who was around and where they were, who had, had gone through such a thing like um, renounced their citizenship or the Hoshidan, all these different parts of it. Um, so, you know, I mean, I probably, if I had been trying to do it quickly or something, maybe I could have done it faster, but for me, it just was something that unfolded over really like three pilgrimages, which happen every two years, at least where I was showing up, shooting some footage and I was still also developing as a filmmaker. So, you know, I was just, you know, I, it was my second feature. Uh, and so I was still figuring out how to tell a story of that size. Um, so that, that was, you know, was, I was evolving in, in a bunch of ways. And uh, I was particularly struck by your ability to get someone, one of the people who, who went to Japan and then stay there. Was that a, a difficult search? Well, you know, I would have liked to have really done that, but, you know, I didn't end up going to Japan. I was, I was using the work of, um, of, uh, Professor uh, Sachiko, um, who's in the film, right? Um, she's the the youngish, uh, you know, professor who's who's uh, in Japan. She he's uh, at Yokohama University. She had already interviewed uh, Tokyo Yamane, who's the the guy who's speaking in Japanese in the film. And um, so, you know, I would have liked to have a bunch of you know, um, you know, Nikkei who'd stayed over there, but. Um, you know, he was enough because he, he was, you know, he went through like the real, you know, um, he, the whole, he, he suffered the worst of anyone, you know, like personally, because he was, he was tortured. He, you know, he was really an insider as far as those stories, which had, were really dark and, and hidden. Um, so, um, yeah, and I would, you know, and I have been, you know, we can talk about this more later, maybe, um, you know, I am looking more into that, into that, that transnational aspect and, and uh, getting to know um, some like Japanese people um, who are helping me put some other 
pieces together as far as the, the story of what, you know, the larger story of, of that community. So everyone, um, as you might know, we're showing this in the week that's also uh, the Day of Remembrance, which is a day uh, that's annually commemorated about the internment of Japanese Americans and their eventual uh, redress and reparations. Uh, do you want to say anything about that, Conrad? Uh, well, yeah, it's, you know, it's really the, the, the time of year where, you know, we remember this and there's a lot. And, you know, one thing also I noticed, you know, over the period of time I was getting to know the Tui Lake Committee was, you know, this generation um, was very much active, you know, in what was happening and, and particularly with uh, things that were going on politically and, and you know, as far as what, um, you know, U.S. policies um, and immigration, you know, in these years since 9-11 and then, um, and then the Trump regime, like, uh, there was a real engagement, you know, among many people um, in the community. So they were um, protesting family detention, and you know, so each these these things, these pilgrimages, and then, but then, especially nine six six, you know, every year it's kind of like taking stock of, you know, how is, you know, what is going on today that really is connected, you know, and and who 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 can benefit from our solidarity since, you know, there was this um, there was a, a big lack of communities who were able or, or willing to, you know, stick up for the Nikkei back then, you know, when they were being incarcerated, um, you know, how can, how can we be the, the, the community that we would have liked to see then? Of course, there were people who, who did help us out a lot. I mean, there was um, the Mary Knoll groups and, you know, there's um, the Quakers, um, American Friends, you know, there, there's, you know, individuals and, and communities who did, you know, do their best, to, to, but uh, certainly, you know, we would have. It would have been better if there was more people able to to say, "Hey, this is wrong, and this should not be happening." You know, um, so family detention. You know, more most recently, you know, um, the Muslim ban, and, and um, that's been a, there's been a big jump in activity with uh, Nikkei activists. Um, you know, since I would say about 2018. You know, there's been some groups. There's Suda for Solidarity, which we can talk about. Um, and um, so every 90666, it's, you know, time not only to remember, you know, but to um, to really point to what's happening now that, that needs our attention. And are you still encountering audiences with the film that we're not aware of any of this? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, considering that, you know, you and I didn't, know much about Tulu Lake for a long time, you know, that is a, a big eye-opener, you know, um, but uh, yeah, the whole incarceration, you know, is still, um, it's, you know, with just the, um, I mean, I can see there's reasons in education why it's, it's difficult to cover everything, but yeah, I mean, um, it's news to, to many people all the time, you know, I, I was in, in, um, New Jersey and in a Jesuit university, um, and uh, and you know people, you know there were there was a lot of people who who uh, were learning about that, you know professors and and you know there's always something to share because it's you know I mean there's a lot of different struggles that that uh, that I need to learn about for sure, you know if someone showed up you know to my community to talk about that, so 
I can see why it's an ongoing thing. Thank you. And everyone, if you have questions for Conrad, please post it in the chat. Uh, like one person has asked, uh, says that they were told that trouble troublemakers from other camps were sent to Tule Lake. And that's correct, right? Yeah, more or less, you know, I mean, troublemakers in quotes, I mean, people who, you know, were mostly just um, sticking up for, for rights, which they, they were entitled to is, um, you know, under both international law and just as U.S. citizens. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a thing, you know, but looking at it from the, the government side, you know, they once they saw that there was unrest, you know, they they had to rack their brains to figure out how to deal with it, you know, and they and um, they were always trying to catch up with the problems that they're seeing, you know, um, first of first, they took the troublemakers and they put them in different um, well, a couple of cancers loop, uh, and um, there was there was another one. Um, maybe uh, <laughs> yeah, Hiroshi. You can probably put that in the chat. Um, but the, you know, these are camps. These are places where they put. You know, they had particular detention centers. It was like you know when you talk about Guantanamo. It was like that. You know, they could they could remove someone from a normal system of of checks and balances, and and um, but then once they did registration there was just so widespread of, a, of an issue that people had with registration and answering this loyalty questionnaire and being basically forced to sign up for military service and, um, and also put themselves in an impossible situation as a family by forswearing uh, Japan when they might end up having to go Japan because their, their, their lives had been completely destroyed in the United States. So, um, you know that there was um, a big, uh, there's a lot of turmoil basically that uh, people were trying to to cope with. You know, and, and the and the um, the government wasn't interested, or you know, just didn't know how to um, just make people's lives more livable on a lot of levels. So they 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 decided to suppress what was going on and, and just uh, take out the stick and start, you know applying more discipline to people to get them to shut up. So another question is, uh, someone's curious about the tension between the no-no boys and the uh, resistor types at Tule Lake and others who might have felt differently since it was a higher percentage um, of the former. I guess meaning higher percentage of no-nos, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's... It persists to this day, you know, because uh, the JCL just, uh, what, two years ago, so 2018, 2019, that um, after all these years, you know, um, the JCL, just to review, because I don't, I didn't get a chance to fit this too much in the film, but Japanese American Citizens League were like the, the last people standing as far as community organizations, because they're the ones who are willing to you know, collaborate with the American government and say, okay, we're, you know, we're going to be patriots now. We're, we're going to cooperate. We're going to manage this whole incarceration thing you want to do and try to make it livable for our people. And we're going to throw some people under the bus so that, you know, we can sort of weed out the people who are, are suspect in their Americanisms. And that largely meant Kibay, um, people who had dual nationality, um, who were viewed as like not really American, um, and also people who ended up resisting the draft 
you know, the JSCL threw those people under the bus and, and those were, those people were ostracized um, within the community. And um, when the JSCL, all these years later, um, you know, like two years, yeah, a couple years after my film came out, and I guess, you know, some number of people saw that and people had discussed, you know, uh, people like Satsuki Ina had been out in the community and, and you know, had shared what, what happened to their families. And um, there were still people in the JCL who had trouble with this, with apologizing to these communities, uh, to people who said no, no, who resisted this way, who didn't give the, the correct answers. So that just shows, you know, like how, how difficult it is to reconcile those things. And, you know, I'm not saying that, that uh, people who um, joined the army and, and did what they saw as the right thing or, or you know, decide they were going to boot themselves, bootstrap themselves to America and not, you know, not give people cause to, um, or more reason to fear Japanese people. You know, I'm not saying that they're crazy or bad people, you know. Um, uh, it's just that, um, and then, and then people, there are credible stories of, of um, the so-called pro-Japan groups uh, committing violence and, you know, some tough people walking around. And, you know, there was a lot of people lived in fear of, of all the tumult, you know, because it was, it was, you know, comparable to, I guess, policing today. You have communities where there's, there's, uh, you know, there's some, physical danger, you know, and then there's a question of, you know, is the policing for the community or is it against the community? And that's basically what you had in Tule Lake. You had groups that are allowed to, to run wild and and um, so, you know, and, and people living in genuine fear, you know, for people in their own community. Okay. Um, what I wanted to do is to have us go now and start to bring this into the present and that's why we're now going to share with everyone a short that the Joie Le Grande made called Joie Vang Lee mourned George Floyd and uh, it's just a few minutes so everyone bear with us and I'm gonna attempt to share my screen again on July 22, 2006, Officer Jason Anderson shoots and kills 19-year-old Fong Lee, saying Fong had a gun. Fong Lee was shot three times in the back and five times while he was on the ground. He was a child of refugees. He was also a student. And they were trying to label him as a gang member to discredit him. Anybody look at the video knew that there was no gun there. They got away with murder. And they do it all the time in our community. From the beginning, activists in the black community really supported the family. The injustice has been going on a long time, but if we all come together, Asian, white, black, Latino, and we say we're not going to take it no more, we can stop it. I don't know what to do, 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 I don't know what to do. I don't know, but I'm talking on you. I don't know, but I'm talking on you.
Miss Yua being in solidarity with the family of George Floyd, that was powerful. So many Hmong go back and forth with like elders all the time of like, don't go protest, this isn't our issue, this is a black and white issue. And it's like validating to, to like hear her out there. I still see the pain. She's not just advocating for Fong Lee no more. She's advocating for justice. She's an advocate for all. Is it a little Thank you, Shua. So if you could tell us a little bit about the background of that, sure, and the project that it's part of, and then I'm going to bring everybody in to talk about this interconnection of these things, especially in light of what's been going on and the deaths in our community most recently. So, Joao, can you talk about the film? Yeah, so I, I can share a little bit first about um, Feng Li and Yua Wing Li, in case some of those folks who are part of this conversation don't know. Um, Feng Li was a 19-year-old young Hmong American man who was shot and killed by police and his mother, Yua Wang Li, became his biggest and loudest advocate um, in, with rallies, protests, and then suing the city and the police. Um, and so during her time as a refugee, she was very new to this concept of protest, and a lot of folks in the community showed up to support her. And of course, as um, a lot of Minneapolis police continue to shoot and kill brown and black people, um, she's continued to show up. Um, so this this film really just focused and really wanted was a highlight of her work and her solidarity with the black community in particular. Um, and so this this is a micro doc that's part of the May 19th project, which really focuses on Asian American history of being in solidarity with other communities. And it's called May 19th because it comes from May 19th, which is the shared birthday of Yuri Kochiyama and Malcolm X, um, folks who were activists and in amazing relationship and solidarity with one another. And so as part of this process, project, there are several microdocs that just highlight relationships throughout history across um, cultures with Asian Americans and other folks um, in this push for justice. Um, and so, yeah, May 19th Project is also part of the CS Unite for Change campaign, which is this larger project to essentially bring visibility to Asian Americans and uh, raise awareness and support. So, yeah. And what has what has been the response to the project, as far as you know? Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, really strong response. I, I believe that this... It surprised me even. <laughs> I think this video might have been one of the videos out of all the videos created that got the most response. And um, I think a lot of it was because this conversation about George Floyd is still very strong. And in this debate about police violence, um, it, it is important to hear these vocal voices for about solidarity. And it's 
extremely empowering to see that. And I think the the biggest response has been from the local Hmong community, especially young Hmong people, just because they don't see our elders speak out a lot because our elders are refugees to this country and our their their experiences with persecution and war. And so many of our elders do not want to wreck the boat, right? They just want to live life and um, just survive. And so it's very uncommon to hear an elder really speak out. So a lot of young activists and young people have been really um, just, there's just a lot of overwhelmingly positive response, just being able to see you all speak out and continue to use her voice, even though her son has been um, gone for so many years. He was killed in 2006. So yeah, there's just been overwhelmingly positive response. Can you talk about why you, you got involved and also your activist and filmmaking activity? Yeah, so I, um, so this, this project, this idea to create this microdoc came from the executive producers of the May 19th project, so Renee Tahima Peña and Jeff Chang. However, I got involved because I, um, this is a project and a story that I've wanted to tell for a very long time. I actually am from North Minneapolis where Feng Li grew up. Um, he was killed less than two miles from my house. And so I was 17 years old when he was 19 and was killed. And I was, even as a young person, not fully understanding the context, I was at the protests to demand justice for, for him. And throughout the years as I've grown up, I've gotten involved in a lot of just local protests and activism, um, especially when it comes to getting justice, when it comes to police violence. Um, as someone who has grown up in North Minneapolis, which is predominantly Black, but then also high populations of Hmong, other Southeast Asian, and Latinx folks, and um, police violence is just kind of a norm here. Um, and so, um, thankfully, I was um, connected to someone on the team, and when they envisioned this, they thought of me and reached out and brought me on to co-produce. So, um, that's how I joined the team. And the project was uh, directed by Steve Mang. Okay. And um, were you aware of uh, the internment and Tule Lake? And do you see connections there in terms of this? Yeah, yeah, I was not aware. And I, I feel like um, because as a, as a Hmong person, myself, of course, many of us are, because the Hmong community is still fairly new to America, we're, we're still in a place of like learning about even other Asian American history. So even though we know about Japanese internment camps, it's not like in school we're taught the details. We've never been taught anything about Tule Lake or any of those specifics. Um, and a lot of that has just been erased from history books. Oh my, I think yeah, across the board, it's been erased from everyone's history books for the most part. So for that's why it's such a, uh, new or re revelation to people. Um, any thoughts, Conrad? Did you know about the whole May 19th activity? Yeah, I ran into Renee when I was um, at the, um, the GAM Festival in San Francisco. 
um, so yeah, I, I knew about this project. Uh, I didn't, I, I don't know, I think it was at a certain stage at the time. I was trying to, I was interested in doing a project. I forget what it was going to be about, but um, uh, yeah, but it seemed a really exciting, you know, project because it just had so many different, you know, facets of, of how, of Asian American experience that were very, you know, that were very gripping. You know, they're either stuff you didn't really know about before or, you know, and or, you know, were also very urgent, you know, that, that were things were unfolding at this moment. And um, I'm wondering if either of you had feelings about um, the usage of these, of this kind of media in trying to make, address some of the issues that have been impacting the Asian American community in terms of the increased racial violence and uh, harassment that's been going on. And if do you, what else do you think would be useful to be able to address the situation? Yeah, I, I find that the biggest issue that leads to all this anti-Asian hate is the very fact that we're just invisible, right? Our stories aren't told. It's not in history books, like even films, Asian Americans are highly underrepresented. Our experiences are underrepresented. And when they are represented, it's we're overrepresented in hypersexuality of women, like Asian women or just demeaning of Asian men or just like othering Asian Americans, you know, as foreigners. And so I, I think that what really is needed is this just real representation of us as Asian Americans, right? Because this is like who we are here in this country, our experiences and history and in current times, um, because the simple fact that we just don't show up in any place for the most part becomes very problematic because then it makes it very easy for people who thrive on ignorance to then make no effort and have no exposure to Asian American experiences and not see us as human beings. So I, I think a huge thing is just more being able to tell our stories more and having it um, out there and letting people see our experiences and be reminded that Asian Americans are human beings. And sadly, it's sad that people need reminding of that. But with rising anti-Asian hate, that shows us that there are people in this country who need that reminder. Of course, it doesn't help that uh, like past government administration kept emphasizing who they claim was responsible for the pandemic and things like that. And the heightened tensions with the uh, terms of a the political economy of U.S.-China relations isn't uh, helping either. I think what you have said is completely on point. Um, you know, it's like, um, I mean, it's like uh, being Asian is sort of having a lot of things projected onto you in a, in a very certain way. I mean, uh, and I got to say, particularly Asian women, I mean, you know, because, um, you know, because we, it seems like we don't really have a clear idea why certain recent attacks of these terrible things that haven't recently happened, you know, um, and I don't know how political they are necessarily, you know, I mean, I don't want to say too much else because we just really don't know, but it just seems that, you know, people can, people form an idea, you know, and like, you can't call out the legal aspect of hate crime because they're not like, you know, saying I'm doing this because you're Asian or something, you know. But somehow, 
somehow something's being formed in, in people's minds that is making them do this. And, and, um, and I think, he, you know, it's been going on for so long. Um, but, uh, and I think it, it hits Asian women particularly hard. You know, I know just from the, the stuff my mom, you know, had to deal with, uh, that I, I would see going on, you know, my whole life. And, um, and I think, you know, the, the antidote has to be, you know, which I think people are doing, but just has to be keep, keep on being done is just really getting out there is, you know, pro projecting ourselves, you know, like, I mean, projecting who we are, you know, individual, you know, putting out more of our different experiences. I think, I think getting to know different communities also, you know, because, um, you know, people kind of wash us together, uh, I think. And um, so usually, often people don't know who they're attacking when they're attacking um, Asian people, um, you know, and I think it's particularly important um, to, I guess, sort out, I guess, some political questions, but also, you know, some personal experience questions as we get into tension with China and Korea, you know, because that's, that's going to keep, that's only going to escalate, I think. Um, so, you know, there's always some excuse, but I think we're going to see particular permutations of it this time and some very difficult um, things to wrestle with, you know, but, you know, Asian faces, when they come, when they're projected on, you know, when they come before a lot of people, it's, it's in these certain contexts, which are just really, um, dehumanizing and kind of um, generalizing, I think, or um, so it's just going to take a lot of work as far as media. And I think, you know, I think narrative media is, is also important too. Um, so I think a lot of, you know, that's something we should pay attention to, even if we're, you know, mostly in the realm of documentary. Um, it's uh, how a lot of people's impressions are formed. Yeah, I would definitely agree about like, there's a major issue with people just lumping all Asian Americans together and not seeing that there are so many diverse experiences, even within Asian America. Um, and so e like even in Minnesota in the past decade, local Asian American leaders had to push for uh, legislation to deaggregate data so that we could see data as like how our Chinese Americans doing versus Korean Americans versus Vietnamese and Hmong and truly seeing how what each community's experiences are separate from each other um, and even things like that because we get looped just get we all get to suffer the consequences as a group unfortunately. Well one thing I liked about your film Shua is also it, it emphasized the idea that it's not just do we want we want people to support Asian Americans, but we have that same responsibility um, to be in solidarity with other people of color, especially communities and those who are um, under attack. And uh, and you're right in terms of historically, there the, the impression has been, oh, the Japanese went to the internment camp without without complaining at all. So Conrad's film helps to break down that myth, but there is a some element of truth in terms of people were scared to talk, speak out then, but, um, and people were scared to support the Japanese American and challenge what was going on. Um, and then we all have to try to overcome some of those fears by showing solidarity across the board in terms of other, especially BIPOC people and um, issues of concern to 
um, all people of color and people who believe in justice. So, um, any other thoughts? And do we have any questions from the audience here about either the films or the filmmaker or this issue? So, um, this is true. Blanca Vasquez says that, uh, resistors are always the enemy of the state. And that's, so that's going to be one of the issues no matter what, right? That once you do speak up, you do become a target. And it's also something that we all have to accept that is going to be part of the cost of uh, what we're embarking on. So... Yeah, and just just to speak to that, like, I feel like working on this project, my only regret is that we didn't like we couldn't do a longer film <laughs> because it, um, Miss Yuavangli's story is just so rich, and part of her experience was that speaking out did mean that she, there were costs involved. So she was harassed by Minneapolis police nonstop while she was trying to seek justice for her son. Um, and she was harassed out of Minneapolis, so she actually ended up moving into the suburb just so she could escape Minneapolis police. And um, so I think I know that a lot of times people are afraid to speak out, yes, because they don't want to have to face those consequences or um, those added challenges. But I imagine for someone like Yo Bang Lee, she had nothing else to lose. Her son was already dead, and all there was to gain was justice. So. I think another aspect that would have been nice if you get a chance to do longer film is that so many um, Americans know nothing about the Hmong community or why they're here. And just so that everyone who's on this call understands that it's all related to the Vietnam War. And uh, so many of the people who were brought here were not necessarily here because they wanted to come to the U.S., but were in a position where they had, had no other choice. So... Um, and uh, Michael Sakamoto says, uh, one thing that most American, Asian Americans don't realize about the Hmong is that their labor rush and sacrifice in service of American empires in lockstep with many parallel sacrifices on the continent and the former colonies. But it's completely invisibilized because of the war inherently makes it more foreign history, so that's, which is not really foreign at all. Um, and that we need to remember that the current resistance historically plays such an important role when viewed in hindsight. So I think that's true. Uh, that's why I think both of your films are important to us because um, it brings up both the past struggles and uh, bravery of the people who actually did speak out and challenge the powers that be and the people who are doing so now and what we hope uh, in using both these films and showing these films that people who are now coming to grips and understanding our history and the expense, what our situation is within this country, I understand that we all have to be part of these efforts to change and offer solidarity. So, um, and I thank you both for coming on tonight. And um, do you want to talk about things you're working on now? Sure. <laughs> um, so I, I'm actually working on my first feature documentary, which I'm directing 
um, myself and so it's it's about um, the this generation, the younger Hmong American shaman experience, just because Hmong spirituality is one that we've seen a lot in, we've seen more than you'd think in mainstream. So it's been featured in episodes on Grey's Anatomy, Divi Hauser, MD, House. But every time Hmong people watch those episodes, we cringe because it's just so, it lacks true representation of our community so um so my film I'm actually still in development and early production and um it actually follows my personal journey as someone who's Hmong American very pretty Americanized for the most part and identifying as agnostic and being told I will become a shaman um and so I end up just following other shamans who are younger and trying to understand how they're you know in the cross of cultures, making things work, and with a lot of the challenges of these times, even relating to this being the first generation among people with openly LGBTQ plus folks, or folks who are marrying outside of the race, and what does that look like if you're a shaman and your partner is not Hmong? Um, so, um, and I, outside of that, I'm still working on other short documentaries as well, and supporting on other projects. Um, and I actually have a short documentary that should be showing on World Channel in May as part of um, ADOC's collaboration with World Channel um, to do more Asian American stories by Asian American filmmakers. So. Great. And, and for everyone who may not know, ADOC is a network of Asian American documentarians and they came together a few years ago um, in order to be able to support each other in terms of getting more films funded, more films out, and more films broadcast about Asian American issues. And uh, we're going to ask Conrad what he's up to. And if Joy can, in the meantime, if you could put in the chat how people can see your film. Now, I know I, I see it off of the May 19th site, but if there are other sites that you'd like people to uh, become aware of. Um, Conrad. Yes, uh, I've been um, I've been taking kind of a deep dive into um, Japanese language literature that was written in Chile Lake and also other camps. Um, that's been a bit of a divergence in my path because it's taking me into narrative, which used to be, which was before documentary. That was actually what I was interested in as an actor, and um, I was starting to uh, become a filmmaker, like a narrative filmmaker. And um, and this material, like uh, there was you know, 10 volumes of, of uh, literature uh, that was published in Tuli Lake uh, under the name Tesaku, which means iron fence in Japanese. And and um, and it, the bulk of it hasn't been translated. So I've been trying to prod people, certain people into like publishing it or doing something with it. Um, I've been studying Japanese. I've been uh, also um, taking some of the stories and adapting them. And so um, I'm working on a couple of short film scripts. And, and um, so that's what I've been, that's been my, my personal labor of love, you know, um, I'm still doing other stuff, you know, like freelancing and, and, you know, I'd like to do another documentary soon. But, uh, you know, under the pandemic, I've been sort of doing this, um, you know, this uh, looking at the literature and taking that kind of reconnecting with I guess uh, what was lost when I, you know, my grandparents, you know, were uh, transnational, but uh, my my the generation generation after them uh, didn't speak.
speak any Japanese at all. So in a way, I'm kind of reconnecting what was lost, you know, through that time when it was really, I think a lot of people chose to become American and not cultivate, you know, the Japanese education or anything like that. Got it. Well, good luck, both of you, on your projects, and we hope to see your new projects soon. Um, everyone, thanks for coming tonight, and uh, the film will still, Resistance at Tule Lake will stream until tomorrow night, so please tell your friends if they haven't seen it yet, or if you didn't see it yet, um, this is your chance to see it. And uh, and it's edu distributed educationally by Thoroughville Newsreel, www.twn.org. And next week, we're going to be speaking with Stanley Nelson about his new film that's Oscar-nominated, the documentary about Attica, and it's called Attica, and it'll be next Thursday evening. And he'll be talking about the making of that film and his career. So hope you'll join us. And the RCP is in the chat. And uh, thank you all for coming tonight. Thank you, Joa and Conrad, for your films and for participating tonight. And, uh, and everybody, I hope um, this has been educational for you, and I hope that you'll uh, keep some of this information and hope that uh, you'll make use of it in terms of your own political activities and things like that. So, all right. Thank you all tonight, and good evening. <laughs>